sermon series in the book of Acts. So you can turn there, or the verses that we're reading this morning will be on the screen behind me. And we're going to read two short passages today, actually, one in the book of Acts and one in the book of Luke. So if you've been journeying with us at Crestmont recently, you know that we've spent the last three years going through the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those books we refer to as the Gospels, and they chronicle for us the life of Jesus and his death and resurrection. The book of Acts is the next part of the story that tells us about how God used the early followers of Jesus after Jesus' resurrection and ascension when he went back up into heaven. So before we read out of this passage, um, I want to tell you a little bit of the background of Acts. Uh, Today is going to be an introduction of sorts to our new study together. And I'm excited. This isn't the first time that we have uh, done a sermon series through the book of Acts. I actually looked back on the files on my computer. The last time I preached an introduction to the book of Acts was in 2008. So it's been 10 years. My guess is... Uh, Many of you uh, weren't even part of our church at that point. Um, I didn't just copy and paste my sermon from 10 years ago, I promise. Um, But if I had, it was good enough and worth repeating. All right, but I want to give you some background uh, to Acts today and kind of frame what it's going to look like as we go through this study together. Um, We're going to be in Acts for the rest of the spring, and we will take a short break from it this summer, but then we'll be back into it this fall. Um, I'm not sure how long it's going to take us to go through it, but we're going to take our time going through this together. So the author of the book of Acts, as well as the book of Luke, which is one of the Gospels that we have spent time studying together over the last few years, both of these books, Luke and Acts, have the same author. Um, His name is Luke, and on one hand, we don't know a lot about him, except that at some point, he was a companion of the Apostle Paul, um, who is going to be a a main character in the book of Acts uh, later on as we go through this study together. And so he had some firsthand account of the things that he's writing about. Other things, it seems that he interviewed other people to get uh, some of the details, Um, It seems to us that Luke was a Gentile in his background, that is a non-Jew, but he may have been practicing as a Jew before he became a follower of Jesus. He may have been a convert to Judaism, we're not sure. And Paul, in the book of Colossians, another book in the New Testament, makes a brief reference to someone called Luke the Physician. And this makes us think that Luke uh, may have had some level of education and that he was a doctor in the ancient world. So that's a little bit of what we know about him. He's probably writing these histories, Luke and Acts, to a broad audience, to both Jews and Gentiles, to Christians, people who had decided to become followers of Jesus, to people who were still skeptics. But it seems that he at least is keeping in mind Uh, People who are more educated in the Roman Empire maybe have a little bit more status and prominence. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, in the Gospel of Luke, 
uh, there is more teaching on the dangers of wealth than in the other Gospels. And that actually makes us think that he had that audience in mind a little bit and was uh, giving some warnings to that audience as he was writing to them. Um, there's probably more than one purpose to why he writes the book of Acts. First of all, it's just a history. He's just recording what has happened. It's also a defense of the early church in an empire that was skeptical of the early church's existence and what they were doing. And so he's defending some of the things that happened, the miracles, um, other uh, activities of the early church. But he's also providing for us a model Um, a way of doing ministry. Now, the early church that we're going to be reading about in the book of Acts was doing what they were doing 2,000 years ago in a very different world than the world that we live in today. But models are helpful because even when circumstances change and details change and we decide to do things a little bit differently, still there's a model for us to base things off of. And the book of Acts is helpful for that. Now, Throughout this series, we're going to be defining certain terms, but I just want to define one term this morning that will be helpful for us, and it's the term the church. Because all the way through this series, we're going to be talking about the church, the church. And I want to make clear, and we'll repeat it in the next few weeks, what we mean by the church when we talk about the church in the book of Acts, because we don't mean Crestmont Alliance Church, right? Matter of fact, we don't mean any particular organization. Um, We don't mean a local congregation like this. Um, Those things can be expressions of the church, but when we talk about the church, we're talking about all of Jesus' followers around the world and throughout history who together make up the family of God. Um, Everyone who names Jesus Christ as their Savior. So when we talk about the church, we're talking about the church in a universal sense. Does that make sense to everybody? We're not just talking about an organization or a local expression of the church. We're talking about the church all over the world. And what this means is, as we study the book of Acts, oftentimes the book of Acts is not just speaking to us as individuals, but the book of Acts is speaking to us as a group of people. Um, We could spend our time in the book of Acts and just learn some personal things for ourselves. Uh, We could learn some moral lessons from the book. But Luke, when he writes the book of Acts, has something broader in mind. He has a whole worldwide community of people in mind who together are following Jesus and advancing his mission on the earth. Um, And so very many times as we study the book of Acts together, we're going to be making application not just to me as an individual, but to us as the people of God. We're going to be talking a lot more about we and us than we are just about me or I. Does that make sense to everybody? All right. We're going to read two short passages. You can stay seated this morning. Um, It's likely that when Luke wrote Acts, he wrote it as the second volume of Luke and Acts. These books should be read together, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And so we're actually going to start by reading the introduction to the book of Luke. It'll be on the screen behind me, and we'll begin in Luke 1.1, because this is really the introduction to both volumes. Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. So what he's saying is there's probably by this point already 
um, some of the Gospels written, especially the Gospel of Mark, has probably already been written by this point. And these accounts of Jesus were written by eyewitnesses. So he has talked to eyewitnesses about what Jesus did. He says in verse 3, With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now there's a bunch of um, speculation about who this individual is, Theophilus. Some have wondered, is he fictional? Is Because his name... Uh, refers to God's love. So is Luke just writing um, to the Christians in general and using this name uh, to represent Christians? But what's most likely is that Theophilus was a patron who maybe um, had some status and wealth himself and maybe funded this project, this history project that Luke is writing um, in both Luke and the book of Acts. So it was very common in the ancient world to dedicate works of history like this to the person who made them possible. So it says, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. The next 24 chapters in the book of Luke chronicle for us the life and the story of Jesus. And many times in the last three years, we've been in and out of the book of Luke. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 1. In many ways, we'll be in Acts chapter 1 for the next few weeks, but Acts chapter 1, in many ways, repeats much of the material that's in Luke chapter 24. The last chapter of Luke 24 and the first chapter of the book of Acts are very similar, and Luke begins by saying this. In my former book, Theophilus, he's talking about the gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. That's notable because... All the way through our journey through the Gospels, we talked about how Jesus and his disciples didn't just teach truth, they also demonstrated it, right? They preached the Gospel, and then they did the Gospel. They spoke the Gospel, and then the Gospel was demonstrated in power by the Holy Spirit through their ministry. So there's, these two things come together, doing and teaching, teaching and doing, and we're going to see that same theme here in the book of Acts. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. And then he goes on to talk some about the final words of Jesus on earth to his disciples. All right, so that is kind of the general background. That's a lot, I know, of the book of Acts. But I just want to highlight for you three themes that might be helpful for you to keep in mind as we start reading and studying Acts together. Let me ask you this before I tell you the first part of the theme. Who is the main character in the book of Acts? Um, is it the Apostle Paul? Is it Peter? It starts with Peter, one of Jesus' disciples. Is it any of the other characters in the book of Acts that come throughout the story? I want to suggest to you a very clear main character throughout the whole story of the book of Acts in the early church, and that character is God himself. The main character of the book of Acts is God. This is very clear all the way through Luke's whole historical account. It's God who is prayed to, God who is praised, and God in the story very often responds by the Holy Spirit to that prayer and that praise. It's God's timing that is the background to the whole story. It's very common all the way through the book of Acts for 
the characters to be talking about how aware they are that God has been working all the way throughout history, through the history of the world, and then through the history of the Jewish people in particular, and how God is still in charge of even the details of what's happening in the day in which they live. Even tragic things like Jesus's death are attributed to God's timing, to the fulfillment of God's purposes. His sovereign will is behind everything that's happening. Um, it's God who speaks in this book. It's God who leads. It's God who even changes the direction that people are going in in this book. It's even God who rebukes and judges. And all the way through the book of Acts, it's God who performs miracle after miracle after miracle. So sometimes we call the book of Acts the Acts of the Apostles. It would be more appropriate for us to call this book the Acts of God through his church. But the acts belong to God. God is the main character. And what that means is, as we go through this study, we're going to be learning the same things that we have all along in the last three years. Who is God? Because he's, he's going to reveal his character through how he works with his church. And if that's who God is, who are we? Not just as individuals, but who are we as a family on mission? As a family that is identified by this God who is working in history. So the main character all the way through is God himself. But here's a surprising thing. It's not just that God is main, the main character. It's also this, that the story is messy. And this challenges, this is the second theme, that the story is messy. This challenges what we think it might look like if God is the main character of a story, right? Some people think that if God is really in something, that if God is doing something, that if God is the one working, then that thing, whatever it is, that church, that family, that community, should be characterized by stability and by safety, by predictability. We assign these characteristics to God. But in the book of Acts, we find something that is quite the opposite. Don't get me wrong, God is God and that never changes and his character is the same. But as we go through this story, we're going to see all kinds of things that might surprise us for God being at the center of this story. There is confusion and misunderstanding over manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Let me just give you one example out of the book of Acts. Um, the gift the ability for people to speak or pray or prophesy in other languages, which is going to feature prominently in this book, is first met by confusion and misunderstanding. One of the reasons we think that's the case is because even though the Holy Spirit was giving this ability to the early believers to pray or prophesy or speak or proclaim the word of God in a language that they did not know, we're not sure where there's any connection between that manifestation of God and the Old Testament. We have some ideas. We can make some faint connections. But this was a new thing that God was doing. And it was largely kind of surprising and confusing to the people who first experienced it. In the book of Acts, there's disagreements between really good people. There's personality conflicts, even when they're on the same mission together. And sometimes they have to part ways. There's groups of people who are overlooked, and then the church has to course correct because they've left some people behind. There's ethnic divisions that need healed in the early church. The characters of the book of Acts are wrestling with God about next steps that they should take. There's 
changes in plans. They plan to do one thing in ministry and then they end up doing something else. There's delays. Things take way longer than what they expect. There's setbacks. There's suffering. There's all kinds of opposition from religious people and from pagans. There's imposters who try to buy the power of the Holy Spirit or use it for selfish reasons. There's all kinds of bad motivations. And this all in a book that is chronicling for us what it looks like for God to be active on the earth in his church. Isn't that amazing? That amount of messiness in a story where God is the main character. Let me be clear, it's not because there's anything wrong with God, right? It's because he's interacting with this mess, right? I'll point at myself. He's interacting with this. So when I'm talking about something hard, I'll make it I. When I'm talking about something good, I'll make it we. <laughs> All right? He's, and so, so it's far messier than what we might expect. And we're going to be wrestling with that mess as we go through the story. But the third theme I want you to keep in mind is this. The main character is God. The story is messy. And here's the third theme. The priority throughout the whole book is the mission. Because see, here's what God is doing in his people. He's moving his people from a museum to mission. Here's what I mean. Up before the early church and the early Jesus followers, uh, the Jewish people found themselves in a very difficult cultural situation where they were an oppressed minority in a pagan Roman empire. And what this created, whether they meant it or not, what it created was a kind of of uh, pre protection, especially in Jerusalem, around the traditions of the faith. Um, the Jewish people, especially the Jewish religious leadership, was really trying to protect their own, protect the traditions, protect the teaching. And it's not that all of that is bad all the time. It's just we're going to see something very different happen in the early church. They're going to move from just being a museum that protects tradition to a mission that goes all the way to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts begins in Jerusalem, but it ends in Rome. And guess what? All along the way, the early church is persecuted. The early church is a minority. The early church is misunderstood. But it is like they are compelled by the power of God to take truth, this story about who Jesus is, to places that have not heard before. So the main character is God. The story is messy and the priority is mission. Now, as I bring things to a close this morning, I just want you to reflect with me on something. This morning we read the Nicene Creed, which is one of the ancient statements of belief in the church that's spoken and affirmed by believers all around the world. And there's many things in there that are probably familiar to many of us. But there's one statement I want us to reflect on this morning I heard someone point this out recently, and it really struck me. We say something in that creed. We said it together this morning. Not only that we believe in the Father, and not only that we believe in Jesus, and not only that we believe in the Holy Spirit, but we affirm this this morning. We said it together. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We believe in the church. Now, that word Catholic, when it's in the Nicene Creed, isn't referring to a denomination of Roman Catholicism. It's just a word for universal, saying we believe in this universal family. The word apostolic means it's connected to the teachings of the apostle, but also that word means that the church is fundamentally sent. The church is fundamentally missionary. That's some of what that word means. But what we said together is we believe in the church. 
That's interesting because in our culture, that might be one of the most difficult things to affirm and to state. Truly, I don't know of very many people who believe in the church. I know people who are suspicious of the church. I know people who've been hurt by the church. I know people who feel like they've been let down or left behind by the church. Um, It's very common in our culture to hear people say things like, I don't have any problem with Jesus. I have a problem with the church. But we affirmed it this morning. We believe in the church. We're saying we believe in this family, one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We believe in that. Now, I just want to say a few words to those in the room who might be burnt out on the church, who might be suspicious of the church, who might have seen the good, but maybe mostly the bad and the ugly of the church, because let's get real, the story is messy, right? But I want to tell you today that the book of Acts is going to hold out hope for us on this issue. The book of Acts is going to make us hope again to believe that God is at work, not just with me as an individual, but in us as a group of people. See, when I read the book of Acts, and I see that the main character is God, that the story is messy, and the priority is the mission, it awakens hope in me again for the church, so that I can say, I believe, I believe in the church. And so as much as this book is going to challenge us, I also think it's going to hold out hope for us. Now, it may need, we may need to let the book of Acts demolish some of what we think about the church, some of our preconceived notions, how church was when we grew up, or what denomination we most associate with, or whatever. We may need to let the book of Acts tear some of that stuff down, but if we let the book of Acts build for us a vision of what it means to be the church, I believe it will be an energizing and hopeful thing for us. Why? First of all, because the main character is God. See, this is one of the most exciting possibilities about the church is that we get to be a family where the main character in that family is God himself. And whether you even realize it or not, that's what you want to be part of. You know, for a while, being part of something that calls itself a church that has a personality as the main character a pastor as the main character, a vision statement as the main character. I'm not saying all of those things don't have value, but I'm saying eventually we get tired of that, right? How many of you know there are things you will do for Jesus that you'll never do for a pastor? Come on. There are things you'll do for Jesus that you'll never do for a denomination, right? There are things you'll do for Jesus because Jesus asked, because he's the main character of the story. See, so... So there's incredible hope in that. This is why in the book of Acts, God being the main character, God's people are always gathering to worship and to pray to him. It is their first response to everything. They go through suffering, they pray. They experience a victory, they pray. They connect with this God. Not only that, but they learn to listen to him together because as we're going to find out in the next few weeks, This is part of the promise of the Holy Spirit that the ability to hear what God is saying together in his word and by the Spirit becomes awakened in the church. So God becomes an active player in the family. The family doesn't just theorize about God. The family doesn't even just sing about God. The family interacts with God. 
The family is led by God. The family experiences the power of God. And what comes out of that dynamic interaction are all kinds of, we already said this this morning, God stories, right? We like to say here at Crestmont, we're in it for the stories. What we're saying is, We're not in it just to seek some cheap experience. We're in it because we want to identify in our lifetime the places where God our Father, the Father of the family, is at work visibly among us. That's what we were celebrating this morning in the healing story you just heard. God isn't just someone who we theorize about. He's someone who works among us in power now. Listen, I want to tell you, In a lot of churches, there's a lot of discussion about why so many young people have stopped believing in the church, can no longer affirm we believe in the church. There's probably a lot of answers to that question, but I want to tell you this. If our young people see God in our family, in this expression of local family, as more than just a theory, but as a person who is speaking to us, moving among us, changing us, working in power. Listen, the testimony that you heard today, when you go home and you talk about that with your young people, we purposefully wanted to share that testimony while our kids were in the room. Let me tell you, don't explain it away to your kids, right? Tell them, God is in the family. God is the main character. God's the main character of the story. And see, this isn't just something I'm telling you about, like, like what he did in the past and what he's going to do in the future and then our lives go by and we don't see him do anything. What we're saying is in our lifetime, God is the main character of the church and we get to interact with him. We get to see what he's doing. That's incredibly hopeful for me when I think about what it means to be the church. The story is messy. At times that's annoying to be real, but it can also be incredibly hopeful as well. And because it means that we all have a place, right? Because we all bring a little mess to the church. You know, I had an interesting uh, experience this last week. I was driving past a church. I don't even know anything about this church. But I was driving past a church, and I noticed that they had a fresh new church sign. It was beautiful. The font was nice. The colors were nicely appointed. (laughs) Um, there was even one of those marquees that scrolled across with information. And I'll tell you what, I was a little jealous of this church's sign game. Because have you seen our church signs? Let's talk about mess. Have you looked? Have you taken time to look recently at Crestmont's church signs? Just so you know, one reason I can bring this up and joke about it is because we're trying to address the situation even as we speak. But we have one sign out here. We, we don't even have keys to it anymore. The service time is wrong. We've done things better than our church signs, right, in the past. So I'm kind of jealous of this church sign. I'm like, oh, they, their sign game is on point, right? And then later that day, uh, I was driving in another part of Beaver County, and I passed a cemetery that also had a new sign. As a matter of fact, it was the same sign, pretty much. Marquee and nice lettering. Now listen, I want to be very clear what I'm saying. There is nothing wrong with nice church signs, right? 
Um, I, I think we're about to have some here at the church. So there is nothing wrong with churches having nice signs. And the church, I saw this sign. I don't know anything about it, but it just occurred to me that just because you put a fancy sign on something doesn't mean that what it represents isn't dead. Right? See, there's a temptation in American Christianity to only be drawn to what looks successful. And in America, we have certain ways of defining success. We like things that look shiny and new, that look put together. So I'm not saying, hear me, I'm not saying all of that is bad. I'm not criticizing all of that. But I'm just saying that the way the kingdom of God defines success is deeper than that. There's a temptation in the church just to put a shiny exterior on what it means for us to be a local church organization and to call it success. And listen, I'm all about doing things well. I hope our church signs get a healing, you know? I hope, um, you know, our coffee continues to prosper, you know, in the, in the foyer. And I love when our smiling staff members uh, give us announcements with some beautiful music in the background to make you really buy into what's being said, right? I listen, I like all of those things. But what I'm saying is those things in and of themselves aren't what it means to be the church. Recently, our pastoral staff spent two days over the last uh, winter in the city of Pittsburgh, and we got to visit two churches, one, both small congregations, one in Garfield and the other in Homewood. And uh, both of these congregations have buildings that you know, are kind of falling apart. You can tell these congregations don't have a lot of money. Um, these pastors, quite frankly, are probably never going to have a book deal. You're pro- even here, and we're just down the river from these churches, but you're probably never going to know their names. They're not going to be famous rock stars in the evangelical church. And I, once again, I'm not putting all of that down, but I'm just saying we walked away from these two congregations thinking we could not have seen something that is more the kingdom of God than what we just saw. Congregations sharing resources with their neighbors, helping their neighbors grieve loss when tragedy hit the neighborhood, seeking racial reconciliation, serving the poor, sharing the gospel. It's everything that we're going to see in the book of Acts, and it doesn't have any of that shiny exterior on it. See, if we aren't okay with messy in the church, we will only see a limited expression of the kingdom of God. But if we're willing to embrace some mess, if we're willing to say, look, even when God is in the story, things can still be messy, then we'll see him show up in some of the most unlikely places. And that gives me hope to believe in the church. And lastly, mission is priority. You know, this gives me hope in the book of Acts. There's, there's so much I could say about this, probably could preach whole sermons on this. But let me just say this. There's a lot of churches in the United States where the overall atmosphere and attitude is one of boredom. And, but here what I'm saying, I'm not saying the antidote to that is entertainment. It's not what I'm saying. Because even entertainment gets boring after a while, right? How many times can you watch that show on Netflix, really, right? Before you get tired of it. Entertainment gets boring eventually, so that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that we were made for the mission church. 
You know, I don't know, maybe you've experienced this with your own kids, or maybe you've been a, a Sunday school teacher or an educator, and you've seen this. When a kid is in a classroom and they are under-challenged, sometimes those young people can begin to act up, right? And it's not even that they're bad kids. It's not even that they don't know how to behave. It's that they are being under-challenged. I see this in so many churches. I've experienced it in my own walk. Friends, you were made for the mission. You were made for the mission. Connecting with each other is great. It's important. Learning information is great. It's important. But you were made for the mission. And in every local church family like ours, where we don't fully engage the mission, Christians begin to behave badly. It's just because they're under-challenged, right? Listen, whatever the book of Acts is, you know, and it's a lot of things. There's more themes I could have pointed out than I am this morning. But whatever it is, whatever hardships are there, whatever suffering is there, let me tell you this. It ain't boring, right? Uh, there's always something around the bend. And that gives me hope. See, we think, speaking about our young people, we think that if we give them entertainment in response to the boring, that they'll want to stick with us. But here's the thing. If we give them mission in response to the boring, they'll want to stick with us because they will see the power of God at work in their lifetime. Now, I just want to show you, this is so cool. I want to show you something really cool. All the way through our series through the Gospels, these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we were talking about how the life of discipleship involves three components, up, in, and out. And those are the themes that I just showed you this morning. The main character is God, that's up. The story is messy, that's in. The priority is mission, that's out. Because these, earlier, these early believers are following Jesus and Jesus has called them as individuals and as a family. He's called us as individuals. He's called us as a family to a life of up, in, and out discipleship. It's more of the same, but the mission is expanding more and more. Now, just as I close, um, if one of the musicians could come up, I just want to say this. All of this today gives me great hope for the church. As I'm reading and studying the book of Acts, I feel full of hope for possibility, for what it could mean to be a local family on mission, connected to the universal family on mission. It gives me hope to say I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church, to affirm that in my heart again. But I also want to say this to us today, that this whole up in and out thing, this whole the main character is God, the story is messy, the priority is the mission, it's impossible for us to do it. Part of why the early church prays as much as they do is because they know that they've been called to something that's impossible, right? So I'm not holding the book of Acts over us this morning saying, do this, do this, do this. What I'm saying is there's this incredible person in the book of Acts who is in every story empowering every healing, sustaining the believers through every suffering, and he is the Holy Spirit. He's the Spirit of Jesus poured out on the church so that the church, the family of God, can be what it never could be on its own. 
And that's the real reason I have hope. The real reason I have hope is because Jesus wants to do it all. He wants to call us to the challenge. He wants to empower us for the challenge. He wants to sustain us in the challenge. And that only happens by the Holy Spirit. So I believe we can experience these things, church. I believe, I believe in the church. If you'd stand to your feet. Let me pray over you. If our prayer ministers could come forward. Lord, we often say that we are a family on mission. Lord, we want that to be more than just a slogan. We want it to be more than just something that's on our sign, hopefully a brand new sign soon. We want it to be something that is more than just a catchphrase in our church. We want to be an up, in, and out family. Lord, we tell you, as far as Crestmont Alliance Church is concerned, we tell you, we want God to be the main character of what's happening here. Not a pastor, not a platform, not just an idea that we have. Lord, if you want to change direction, change it. If you want to do a new thing, do the new thing. Lord, if you want to refocus us, refocus us. But we want you to be the main character. We want it for our church and we want it for our families. Lord, we're afraid of messy. And sometimes um, it makes us uncomfortable. But we need your spirit to hold us in the places where we're being stretched, in the places where we're feeling uncomfortable. Lord, we pray that you would come. Give us wisdom from heaven to know how to navigate messy. And Lord, we want to be on the mission to our neighborhoods and the nations. Lord, I pray that you would activate people in our church, in this room, to be on the mission in places where people have not yet experienced the hope that's in Jesus, the salvation that's in Jesus. Take us to those places. I speak this over our church this morning, though, over this local family on mission. I just say this. Everybody has a place. Everybody gets to play. There's no one on the sidelines. In the book of Acts, more and more people got to be part of the story. And I say that over every life in this room. Everybody gets to be part of the story in the way that God chooses and picks for them. So Lord, we thank you. And we give you ourselves and this local family again. In Jesus' name, amen.